The band Cage the Elephant released a hit song not that many years ago, Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. Now, if you're not into 21st century pop culture, let's go for the 20th century. Ozzy Osbourne released an album with the same title, No Rest for the Wicked. His grammar was a little bit better, strangely enough, from Ozzy. If I'm still not relating to you culturally with Cage or Ozzy, I'm just going to skip all the in-between centuries and go for Isaiah the prophet in the 8th century B.C. There ain't no rest for the wicked, but he had better grammar too. There is no peace for the wicked. There is no rest for the wicked. Apparently, this is a transcendent truth that transcends time. So regardless of decade, century, millennia, uh, it has come to be a truism. Maybe we would say it's proverbially true. It's strange to hear, though. There is no rest for the wicked. Why would that be? Well, it would be if we live in a broken world, a sin-cursed world. We're broken people. We are sinners. And try, try, try as we may, there's no ultimate peace. There's no ultimate rest. There's no ultimate satisfaction where we can say, I'm at peace now. I've done everything I ever wanted to do. Everything I was supposed to do. I can now rest. There's never a time when everyone in our life can say about us, he did everything necessary. He did everything he should do. I'm pleased with Pat. And ultimately, we can never get to that place where we have pleased God perfectly. Where we can say, I've done it. I've done enough. I now can rest. Strangely enough, though, lots of people uh, do false advertising, don't they? Read my book and you will be happy. Have this relationship and you will find fulfillment. Come to my seminar and it will change your life forever and you can finally be satisfied. Take this medicine. Have this degree. Go and see this. Buy this product. And on and on the list goes. But I'm pretty sure no one in this room was born yesterday. And so we say, yeah, right. I'm not that gullible. You don't even have to be a cynic. You can just be a realist and say... I don't buy it. There ain't no rest for the wicked. It's simply true. And if somebody tells me otherwise, I laugh. Unless, hopefully you see where this is going, unless that person is none other than Jesus. In Matthew's gospel account, in the 11th chapter, at the end of that chapter, are some of our very favorite words as Christians. If You can go ahead and turn there if you would, if you haven't already. If someone else said these words, I wouldn't believe them. But these awesome, amazing words for people who can find no ultimate, true, lasting rest. We hear Jesus say in Matthew 11, verse 28... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So says Jesus. And while I wouldn't believe anyone else who would say anything close to that, I believe him. I believe him. I believe him for lots of different reasons. Some of those reasons we'll talk about this morning. What we're going to do this morning is take a second look at that text. Last Sunday we looked at it in light of the verses that come before that in a greater context, but I just couldn't resist. I wanted to do a part two, a little bit deeper dive, a little bit of a different kind of look, how this fits into the rest of the Bible, how it fits into the greater context. And, and the reason is I want you to be encouraged by these words. I, I want you to be um, encouraged that Jesus actually should be believed and that the rest that he offers is exactly the kind of rest we actually are looking for, even if we don't know it. And so the format for this morning is going to be to step back a little bit and ask seven questions of our text and have seven answers from this text and other texts so that we might rest in Christ, that we might appreciate the rest even more, that we might be encouraged amidst living in a world that doesn't really have any rest. So I hope you're ready to go. I can't wait. I like this so much. This is the second time I've done it. And I'm going to do it a third time. Okay? So seven questions, and we're going to answer them. Uh, Again, this is uh, building on last week. So the first question about resting in Jesus is this. What is the rest from? What is the rest he offers from? And we know that it's not rest from all troubles in life because even just recently we've seen that Jesus tells his disciples, if as disciples, it might be worse for you in life and your relationships if you're a disciple of mine. So he's not saying, I give you rest from everything temporal and here and now. It's got to be something different. And the massive clue about what it is he's giving us rest from comes from that word that he uses multiple times, that one word that starts with a Y, and it's the word yoke. He talks about a yoke in verse 29. He talks about a yoke in verse 30, my yoke and my yoke. So his is easy, his is is light. But by way of contrast, whatever's causing this burden, whatever we need rest from, is also a kind of yoke. And interestingly enough, when we step back and look at the rest of Scripture, it is often used in relationship to God's law. God's law is a yoke, the yoke image of an animal plowing a field or a person, and they've got the harness around them. They're yoked to pull and to do the work. But it's used um, as a word picture for God's law. I won't take the time to have us look up all the passages, but for example, Acts 15 talks about God's law as a yoke around us. Um, another text of Scripture would, well, Galatians talks about it in Galatians chapter 5 in a negative way, in a very negative way because uh, an abuse of the law and misusing it would be in Matthew 23. But that at least helps us get some traction. Oh, what is this? What are, what, are we, what are we getting rest from? And we go to Jesus and he has an easy yoke. Well, the hard yoke is God's law and our obligation to keep God's law. That's hard. That's difficult. That's wearisome. Dare I say it's impossible because we're sinners. What does God's law require, by the way? You know the answer, what God's law requires. 
Jesus gives us the answer, for example, in Luke chapter 10, when he's dialoguing with the lawyer. God's law, in summary, you all know, is what? Love God and love neighbor. There's the summary of God's law. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's the summary of the whole thing. And that's a yoke. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility around us. Uh, As older theologians would say, our obligation is to love God personally, perpetually, and perfectly. And they're trying to capture the heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of your faculties, all that you are, including your motives. The right thing to do is to love God that way, personally, perfectly, perpetually. That's what we're obligated to do. And now, is that good news? It's good. It's good, righteous, and holy, the Bible would say, but it's not good news. It's not good news because we're sons and daughters of Adam. And so it's a heavy yoke. It's a heavy burden. It's an impossible burden because God requires that we do this and we don't do it. And so it's it's the worst kind of struggle of all. We're obligated to do this and we don't do this. This isn't good news. This is bad news. Now, in principle, the Bible teaches that if you do the right thing, God will declare you a right doer. It's called justification. He declares you righteous. The word righteous has to do with upholding God's law. So if you do everything right, you love God personally, perfectly, perpetually, right, your whole life, then God would declare you righteous. He would declare you an upholder of His law. But if you don't, the negative side of things... It's a word that starts with a C, not justification, but in Romans chapter 5, it is what? It's condemnation. We're condemned. It's fair because we actually didn't meet the obligation. That is the heavy, burdensome yoke that we're under. God requires perfection. I don't meet the obligation. I'm in trouble. This is awful. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with me. It's rest from that We might even say it's rest from God, right? We're in trouble before God. I remind you of what I keep reminding you of, and I'm going to keep doing it. I hope you never forget the very beginning of Matthew's gospel account. Name him Jesus, namesake for a reason. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their violations against God's law. First John says, sin is lawlessness. It's that law breaking. So rest. We can finally say, I have rest from that obligation if we're Christians. I think, even though we might not read our text that way, I think it's meant to be read that way. That's why I belabored the point. When you see yoke, you think, oh, law. At least that's what we want to do now. Let's move on. Let's move on to a second question. Hope you're having half as much fun as I am at least. Next question, number two. What is the rest? What is the rest? So first question, what is the rest from God's law? But what is the actual rest? And I think we can look at this from multiple angles because I want us to really appreciate it. I want us to be encouraged by this. What is the rest what is the actual rest? Well, negatively, we can say um, the, the rest is that our guilt has been removed. Now I'm looking at the broader picture. I'm looking to the cross. I'm looking at what Christ is going to go on to do, his suffering. We have rest from guilt. 
not guilty of being a law violator anymore. Why? Because Christ has made atonement, right? He's made atonement. He's been treated as the lawbreaker even though he wasn't the lawbreaker. He's propitiated God's wrath, the Bible would say, to use that word, uh, so that we can have forgiveness because where there is propitiation or atonement, God's judgment is satisfied, we can be forgiven. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, not that we kept His law, in other words, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the satisfying offering, the propitiation for our sins. I love that. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 19, not counting their trespasses against them in Christ. To trespass, right? Private property. You've violated the law. Well, we're, we're trespassers. You're a, you're a trespasser. We're, we've all trespassed God's law. We haven't loved Him perfectly, personally, and perpetually. And so we're a bunch of big trespassers is what we are. No longer guilty of trespassing because of what Jesus has done. It's fantastic. Rest from guilt. Guilt is... My, my, my worst dreams... This keeps it safe because I, I don't have to confess my actual sins to you. I'm being guilty, right? Well, you, you do something terribly wrong in the dream. And, you know, maybe it starts as an accident or who knows. But I have these dreams reoccurringly. I'm in counseling. Um, <laughs> you do this terrible wrong thing and, and, and it seems so vivid and seems so real. And then, and then you wake up and it still seems vivid and real. And I'm like, I, I'm still in my house. I'm not incarcerated. This is great. You know, and what day is it? What time is it? And oh, it was just a dream. And it's like, oh, I, I was feeling guilty for something I didn't even do. And then we talk about reality, which we, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to feel bad. So I'm using an illustration of a dream. Our guilt of violating God's law, the greatest guiltiness we could ever imagine, we have rest from because of what Jesus did for us in his suffering culminating on the cross, propitiation. He couldn't say what he says here if it weren't in light of the coming substitutionary atonement, but he knows it's coming and it's awesome. It's grand. We should be encouraged. Rest. Rest from guilt. No guilt in life we sing, no fear in death because it's in Christ alone. He saves us in that sense. Now let's look at, it, look at it from a positive way, a positive sense. So what is the rest? Well, it's negative removal of guilt, but it's also positive rest from the obligation. It's rest from the obligation. God requires, I'm going to say it again, I might even say it multiple times, personal, perfect, perpetual obedience. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the requirement. And God doesn't say, well, I'm going to lessen the requirement. And now it's law light. He doesn't do that. The requirement is the requirement. The awesome thing is Jesus gives us rest from that obligation. Why? How? Because he meets the obligation. He meets it. We've even seen clues of this already in Matthew's gospel account. Remember in chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus is going to do the right thing on behalf of the people. And he says... It's going to be done to fulfill all, remember, righteousness. This is going to be done. He's acting as a representative. He's going to do that to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all legal requirements. 
He's going to do the right thing. He, as the, the, the substitute, is loving God perfectly, perpetually, personally. He's loving neighbor as self. He's doing it all to fulfill, done, taken care of, finalized all righteousness. So if you trust in Christ, if you come to Him as He says, He gives you rest from the obligation that you don't have to do that to earn your salvation, to gain justification, because He Himself meets it. He Himself does it. I love the titles, therefore, of Jesus. It, they're used at least twice. 1 Peter 3.18, The Righteous. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Some of my favorite titles of Christ because it complements what we're talking about. It undergirds it. It helps us to understand it. He can offer the rest to you by faith and to me by faith because He Himself is the righteous. He's the one who did it. He's the one who accomplished it perfectly. He's the one who took care of our responsibility. He gives us life. Let's move on to another. I have more texts I wanted to talk about, but I'll save them for the next service because it's the end of the day. They have nowhere else to be. <laughs> Unless you feel cheated, then we, we could look at Luke chapter 10. But we're going to move on to the next question. The next question is, how can Jesus give such rest? How can Jesus give such rest. And we're going to answer this on a, from a couple of different perspectives. The first perspective is he can give such rest because he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And the text we're going to look at, I referenced last week, but we didn't go there. I'm going to ask you to turn, if you'd like, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And as you're finding 2 Samuel 7, if you're just joining us, I'm going to help hopefully bring you up to speed about him being the Messiah. He can give rest because he is the Messiah. And the Messiah is supposed to be the one who gives people ultimate, forever lasting rest. If you don't know what Messiah is, Messiah is the Old Testament title for king. And it's parallel to the New Testament title written in a different language, Christ. So Christ means Messiah, Messiah means Christ. They both mean anointed one. They both mean anointed one as in king. So if there's a ceremony where you're going to install a king, in the ceremony there's going to be an anointing in the ancient world. It's symbolic that now we have the new king. Okay, I'm making it super simple, probably overly simple. But the anointed one. So all of the, the kings, like let's use David because he's an important one. He was a messiah. He was a Christ because he was a, an anointed one, a king of the people of Israel. Okay? So a king, a good king at least, is supposed to provide for his people, protect his people from danger and enemies, uh, to be fair, uh, to be kind, uh, and, and, and all positive things. Well, there's nev never been one who's been that. And then God promises in 2 Samuel 7, the ultimate king, the ultimate Messiah will be perfect in all of those ways, but also he will rule and reign forever and the people of God will forever be protected, forever be provided for, forever be taken care of. If Jesus is the Messiah, which is what Matthew's been arguing, 
if he's that one, he can give rest because the Messiah is the one who is prophesied to be able to give the forever kind of perfect rest for their souls. Nothing ever to fear again. Have you found 2 Samuel chapter 7 yet? I hope you have. Okay, this is classic. This is Davidic covenant, uh, the covenant with David that's going to promise uh, forever ruling and reigning after him. Uh, I can't remember very many Bible texts, but this is the classic text. If you ask me, where's Davidic covenant? I'm going to say 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 8 says, Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of power, strength, the, the, the Lord of, of military might, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies before you and I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place, dwell safety, they can stay there, their own place and be disturbed no more, pretty definitive language. Language, no more, not once in a while, no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as fo- formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I, here's what I really wanted you to see, and I will give you rest, I will give you rest from all your enemies, and not to get too far into the weeds, uh, but there's our word, and even if we were to look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, sometimes you see it's abbreviated LXX. That's our Matthew 11 word. I will give you rest. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled. So when he dies, so he's not going to be the ultimate one, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Ah, Davidic covenant. Putting the pieces together, the true ultimate Davidite, the ultimate Messiah will be the one who can rule and reign forever, the eternal one, the resurrected one, none other than Christ. Remember earlier in Matthew's gospel account, Jesus comes in the line of David. Oh, it's because he's the Messiah, because he's the one who can be this one who ultimately gives the people of Israel, the people of God ultimately rest. You have nothing to be afraid of. Your greatest problem has been dealt with. You can rest, and you can rest in Christ, Messiah. If Jesus is the Messiah, that's how he can offer rest. Because only the Messiah could do that ultimately. ultimately. Now, if we go back to our text, and we're still answering that question, but a different way, how can Jesus give such rest? We just saw that it's because he's the Messiah. But in addition something we've already hinted at, he can give rest because he's met the obligation himself. Right? Going back to chapter 3, verse 15, he's going to do what he does to fulfill all righteousness. How can he offer it? 
He can offer it because he himself has met the obligation. So it's not like Jesus says, I'll give you rest from the obligation of God's law because. That, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be fair. But he can offer it freely. Remember, I'll give you rest. He can offer it freely because he himself meets the obligation. It's not as my very favorite Roman Catholic theologian, the arch rival to Protestantism, Robert Bellarmine. I like him so much because he's so clearly anti-Protestant. And so it makes him a good person to consult and help us understand our theology better. Robert Bellarmine said to the Protestants, you believe in salvation or justification by grace alone through faith alone. That's not right. That's legal fiction. To say to people they don't have to do it, they don't have to, to meet the requirement, but God declares that they met the requirement, that's legal fiction, says Bellarmine. And I'm glad he did because it allowed the Protestants to read their Bibles a little bit more carefully and step back and say, it's not legal fiction because there's a real representative whose name is Jesus who represents his people and he himself actually out of love for his own fulfilled all obligation. He fulfilled all righteousness. It's just. It's right. Jesus can offer rest because he himself loved his father personally, perfectly, and perpetually so that if you trust in him, it's credited to you. It doesn't get better. It really doesn't. Not too long ago, uh, back when we were going out to lunch, remember those days? <laughs> I guess we're getting back to that, but we were, we were out to lunch and uh, it, we were kind of a late lunch after church. My two sons and Molly and I, it was just the four of us. And when we, when we walked in, we saw friends. They're here, but I won't name them. Um, and so we said hi and they're finishing their lunch. And so then when it, later on, you see where the story might be going, um, we went to go pay the bill and they said, it's already been paid. So, and that is what you're supposed to do for your pet. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I don't mean that at all. I said, tip two, tip two. So we ordered food for the whole restaurant. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so what, we, what did we do? We, we said to each other, that was super sweet and sent a text saying thank you, but we got up and we left. No guilt, no arrests, no strange people chasing us out to our cars. It wasn't dine and dash. Because the actual bill had actually been paid. The waitress said, it's been taken care of. Somebody else paid. Somebody else already met your obligation. I don't mean to trivialize what we're talking about here, but it wasn't, well, I just feel like not paying today. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't that the person who paid said, just let them go. No, actual payment. Jesus actually meets the obligation. And so he can actually say to people like you and like me through the text of Scripture, come to me, the righteous, and, and I'll give you rest. It's awesome. It's grand. It's wonderful. Given to us freely. Cost him a lot. 
Let's move on to another one. Let's go to the next question, number four. This will be the shortest answer in the history of answers. Number four, why believe Jesus? Why believe Jesus? Well, because he's believable. Next question. (laughs) Okay. We can keep it there, but my point is in context he's believable because we've we've seen 11 chapters of history. We've seen eyewitness, earwitness before people, before men and women and boys and girls, friends and foes. He's been doing the extraordinary, proving that he's believable, that he has power over nature, that he has power over sickness, that he has power over the supernatural, that he has power over even death. He's believable. And not only that, right? Not only that, there there are coming attractions. (laughs) There are coming attractions because it's not over yet. And he will in time then go to the cross And he will then in time be raised from the dead. And he in time will be ascended as a king ascends to the right hand of his father. He's believable. Why believe Jesus? Because he doesn't have a tombstone. He's the resurrected savior. So I believe he can give me rest based upon the context. Number five, next question. Who is the rest for? Who is the rest for? Four. Let's start by answering the question and, and saying the rest is for those who are wearied and burdened by their obligation to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love neighbor as themselves. That's who it's for. It's for the people who can see, right? They can see the, the God's good and righteous requirement isn't good news. It's bad news to the sinner and so they've got to look somewhere else other than if I just can do enough and if I can just follow enough principles and examples and, and then I'm actually going to find rest with God. It's not for those people. In other words, Jesus said earlier, repent. You've got, you've got to have a change of perspective on how you're viewing these things. Yourself and God and His requirements and Jesus. So the rest is for those who and see they can't meet the obligation. On a negative, I, I, it reminds me of what happens in Romans 10. In Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. See, we all know what that means. His requirements to love personally, perpetually, and perfectly. Righteous requirements. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Ah, law light. maybe some other obligations, as long as you're sincere, my heart was in the right place. We establish our own requirements, our own righteousness, and now we can clear that hurdle as sons and daughters of Adam. You see? It's because we're ignorant of God's righteousness. We can't clear the hurdle. And so then what happens in Romans chapter 10, verse 3 at the end there, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In context there, I would take it as God's provision of righteousness in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't come to Him because they thought they could do it themselves. 
The rest is for those who see they, they can't do it. To acknowledge wrong, to, 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 be this, to be this kind of person. I can't look within to solve my problem, to find ultimate rest from God. I've got to look outside of myself to the one who is the righteous. Now let's move on to number six, the next question about resting in Jesus, and that is, does this mean inactivity? Does this rest mean inactivity? And what's the answer? No, of course not. And we talked about this last week. So ever so briefly. Doesn't mean, oh, guilt is gone. Awesome. Never to be seen as guilty in God's eyes. Oh, obligation positively met. God sees me as if I kept his law perfectly, personally, perpetually. And so now it doesn't matter what I do. Rest means do nothing. No, even in our text, right? He says, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we do see that there is a yoke and we do see there is a burden. It's a non-burdensome burden, right? Because we're united to Christ. Now we're united to Him and He is easy. In, in context of the whole big picture, theologically, contextually, just the whole big thing, it's easy because I'm not terrified of condemnation. It's easy because obligation has been met and I have this gracious, wonderful Messiah providing for, protecting Savior and I want to do the right thing. If I can just borrow from the, the, how, how Romans works, you have 11 chapters, right, of all Christ taking care of everything for us, Christ taking care of all of our obligations for us. If I can just sample one verse, Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation if you're in Christ for those who are in Christ. Awesome! And if I could just jump ahead a little bit then to Romans 12 where we have the big pivot, the big, the big opening of the door. I urge you therefore, brethren, right? I plead with you, believers, by the mercies of God, probably shorthand for the whole 11 chapters before, by the mercies of God, to, to, to give your body, the whole, the all of you, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. I'm not condemned. I'm free. And so I'm not paralyzed by fear and guilt. I want to do the right thing because of gratitude. It's wonderful. It's great. If I can put it in these terms, Jesus is Savior first before He's discipler, right? It's His yoke, right? We're there with Him and He's... Yeah. It's wonderful. Not inactivity, but activity. Let's do the final question now, if you don't mind. Number seven... How does this rest help me with my life now? How does this rest help me with my life now? I remind you that just before this general text that we're looking at today, earlier on, Jesus warned about the trouble in your relationships if you're a Christian. The trouble that may be caused. So, how does this help my life now? 
It doesn't help me um, by saying, and now life is going to be easy. It doesn't take the problems away in the temporal here and now. But here's what it does. It helps me with perspective. My greatest problem, and if you're a Christian, your greatest problem has been solved. And so you can live another day and face maybe some of your really big problems. Because your greatest problem has been solved. And it helps you with perspective. It's easy to lose perspective. It's one of the reasons I come to this church every Sunday. There are other reasons, I have to confess. To get reoriented, to be clear, to hear the preaching of the gospel to unbeliever and believer alike. Because I have rest in Christ for my soul. It can help me deal with the things that are really, really hard. In fact, I would submit to you that it's the thing that's going to get you through the really hard things. Because it's the thing that will last forever. It's rest for your soul. I think Ozzy is right. I think Cage is right. I think Isaiah is right. There ain't no rest for the wicked. But there is rest for the righteous. And if you're trusting in Christ, you've been united to the righteous. And so therefore you have rest that he's obtained for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a great Savior who's mighty to save. Thank you for his open invitation even that's so gracious, saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we be the kind of people who rest in Christ and find motivation to act in light of our resting. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day.